History's made at the Bassmaster Classic. A first time ever, a Canadian wins the Super Bowl of bass fishing. And we were there. Let's talk about it. That's a good one. That's a good one. Oh, God. It's a toad, son. It's a fucking toad, dude. Let's go. I wake up to a little bit of drool on my pillow. Feel like it's going to be a bad day. Welcome back to the OneCast, folks. Ben here. I got Pete and Trey probably familiar with us already, but we're going to come back here and run our suck a little bit. We just got back from the uh, Bassmaster Classic, so we're going to talk about it. We were at the expo most of the time, but it should be a good event, and we're going to touch on something that happened right before the Classic, too. But before we get started, just remember, go over to OneCast Fishing, use that code, the OneCast, save 10%, and a uh, shout out to Herbie and Ken, uh, the two most recent users of the OneCast. So we're going to start shouting fo folks out. That was a good idea. I think, I think Pete, you had that idea. So, uh, we're going to start doing that, but definitely appreciate it. It helps us out, so make sure you go over there and do that. And uh, welcome back here. We had a lot of fun right this last week at the Bassmaster Classic. I know this is airing after, uh, and we're going to talk that, about that in a few minutes. But first, right before the Bassmaster Classic, MLF had scheduled their Douglas and Cherokee event right there in Tennessee, right there at Knoxville. There's probably a reason why they did that. And uh, some cool happened. And uh, Trey, you run, you love ten boats. You run, a actually, you both run ten boats. But uh, why don't you tell us about what happened there at uh, at Cher old Cherokee and Douglas? Yeah, I think uh, besides um, Jeff Gustafson being the first Canadian to win the classic, I think history was made with uh, with Keith Pochet running a, I think I want to say an eighteen foot aluminum boat running all the way up to the dam or the spillway, uh, taking him taking him over two hours to get to his spot he's running a little 115 horsepower engine on his tin boat his gator tracks and uh he ran up there and and fished in a location that none of the fiberglass boats could get and he whacked him i mean he he put oh geez i don't even know what his weight was for his five five fish limit but he was catching some big smallmouth on jigs like really small jigs and uh you know hats off to him turning around and fishing right after the event and fishing the classic so i don't know how he's doing it but it's pretty cool to see it happening. In mm -hmm. fact, I think uh, we drove right over uh, Douglas Lake on our way to Classic, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a, well, in the sign there on I 40, it says the French Broad River. And I don't know, I think there's two bridges on that lake when I look on the map. So I don't know where uh, D Dustin Connell, he caught like a four pounder right under a bridge and there were some docks and houses around it. So I don't know if that was right under that bridge on I 40 or if it was somewhere else on the lake. But hopefully we just drove over where he caught that big fish. But I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Poche, he caught, he caught one big largie for sure on the last day, too, on that. And, and uh, some of it was on a jig. And uh, he also put today that he was throwing a hollow, hollow body, like a four-and-a-half-inch swim bait as well with a, uh, you know, a belly weight hook. So, you know, he handicapped himself probably for, for quite a few tournaments by running that boat this year. But he also set himself up for a couple tournaments to fish stuff that other people can't. Because no... You know, that lake's still on draw on, on fill up, spring draw up or whatever you want to call it. I don't know. I'm sure there's technical yeah, terms. I mean, he'll correct me. All that river system's down. What was yeah. the Tennessee River it was still down what, sixteen foot or something? Yeah, yeah, when we drove over Douglas and the French broad there, you can see it's sixteen or seventeen foot down, um, you know, from winter drawdown. So he he I'm sure looked at the schedule and made a decision on the boat he was gonna run and then knew he may have an opportunity. And I think it was Ot Defoe tried to get up there and ended up tearing his boat up. Uh, and there was a few other people that tried to get up there and, and couldn't. So the same thing with I think Poche did that on Toho too, right? Kissimmee, they, they he got to a lake that no one else even knew existed yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or, or could get there. So it definitely opens up waters. I think it's cool. It's uh you know the boat is a tool. 
just like your rods, reels, your graphs and all, and, and, and anglers are selecting tools. And we're going to get here in a minute about, let's, we can talk about um, Gussie's tool, his boat that he uses, because it's unique for a, uh, a, uh, a bass angler on the pro circuit. But I like anglers choosing, you know, their, their pieces of equipment based upon how they want to fish and strategize. I, th- I mean, I think it's awesome. Yeah. Poche runs that boat that he was in on his uh, off the grid series, which is pretty cool. Um, however, he doesn't get to use all of the capabilities that that little boat has on the pro tour, mm-hmm. such as the winch and stuff like that. So, you know, and he he did the same thing last year, winning that open, man. He caught a lot of flack and stuff, but he fished the way he wanted to fish. He didn't violate any of those black and white rules that we talked about. And he just found something different. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think three years ago in an open, he tried to switch boats and run, run a small rig like that and ended up, yeah. uh, ended up, I think he was, he was leading or winning and got DQ'd because you can't do that. So obviously he knows what his strengths are. He's, he's great at those backwater, those tight areas. And so he chose a boat that lets him do it. Now what we didn't confirm and I still haven't, did he run that boat in the classic also? Is he fishing both series out of that little boat or? Did he I, run a different? You know, boat? I don't know. We did not confirm that. So I tr- I tried looking it up. It, it looks like on his Instagram page, all he has is that is that um, Gator Explorer on there. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so he's be. handicapped himself on both series uh, on certain events, especially when they get up north on the Great Lakes, uh, and it works to his advantage in MLF because he could run two hours and still fish for six. Whereas if he's if he tries to do that in a bass event, he's only gonna get three and a half or four hours to fish because he has to be back for check-in and then weigh-in. And MLF, he can fish to that final buzzer. That is a wonderful and great point there. So BPT period one starts a blast-off, correct? Yep. It's not It's not like the cups where they uh, they get to their spot and then they have a time, lines in time. Mm-hmm. So MLF, like fishing starts a blast-off, but when, when, when the tournament ends, you don't have to be back. So you're actually right. You can run two and a half hours, fish the entire day, Whereas if you're fishing another tour, you'd have to make that two and a half hour, hour trip back, which guys have done before in different tournaments, making hundred mile runs and all. And we've seen that before down in South Carolina. What's that bay down there? They run up the Cooper River. Oh, uh, we just we talked we, about we, we talked about that. Winyah Bay, Winyah Bay, exactly. We probably said that wrong, so somebody will correct us. I'm sure. We may see long runs at Sabine River. We see the St. Lawrence sometimes going down the lake and all. So, but with MLF, it's definitely an advantage that you don't have to be back. Yep. for a weigh-in so that that's pretty cool that he's able to take care of you know a, you know take advantage of that as well yeah I, good i was gonna say i like that though like we all have our preferences on the series that we like to follow of course i'm a huge bass fan i like the mpfl but i do like that you get to maximize the amount of fishing that you get on the bpt especially now with a five fish limit right we all know the how those uh those fish at the end of the day that sometimes they turn on especially in the spawn or whatever the case may be so that's one of the few things that I like about that series. So kudos to those guys for doing that. What were you going to yeah, say? Yeah, I've watched a lot less this year. I was kind of going the same way of, of the BPT just because I'm not a fan at all of them to go into the five fish. It doesn't excite me. It's still fishing, but it's different. Um, mm-hmm. But that is one of the cool things about it is you're able to you're able to strategize a little bit with stuff like that. And, and Poche is using it to his advantage, and he won that one. There will be a couple other tournaments. Uh, he'll have a chance to – to uh use that small boat and maybe help him i don't think it can help him a whole lot on murray but there's uh there's some other bodies of water that that he he will have an advantage but it'll be really interesting to see that lake uh, or that boat when they get up to uh the great lakes here in that little gator tracks but it'll say a lot about gator tracks but handles it well yeah 
I mean, I got to check one of those Gator tracks out at the expo, and I know I know we're all over the place here, and we're talking about Keith Pochet, and we're talking about the classic, but the Gator tracks boats are made like M1A1 Abrams tanks. Like they are so solid. Mm -hmm. I feel like I could shoot it with an RPG and it'd be fine. You know what I'm saying? So it will be interesting to see. The last thing I want to say about uh, about Pochet, it, it's he's put himself at a disadvantage with bass because he missed the entire first event. And I'm wondering if he has his own internal strategy that he's working out in his head, like maybe that first year is free, going back to the elites. I don't know if it's free anymore. I can't remember how the rules are. Uh, but he really put himself in a, at a disadvantage um, not fishing that Lake Okeechobee event with bass. But, man, he turned his season around with a BPT. And at this point, it's like I don't know if he's going to have the ability to fish both well. You know what I mean? I, so I think – that decision was made early on at, at that at the Kissimmee Toho tournament because he was he made the cut. I don't remember if he made championships um, round or not for BPT, mm -hmm. but that pretty much screwed the rest of his bass event for for Okeechobee. But he had done well enough that it, it makes sense, especially for a tournament. You can't leave when you're winning when you're on a yeah. hot streak, and then he comes to this event and he wins it. So like when you start talking figuring out which one to focus on for angler of the year and dollars, he's probably going to lean to the MLF the rest of the year because he's so far ahead yeah. right, in, right, with his points compared to his finishing bass right now. Yeah. So Yeah, and that first year is not free. You get two years, and if you don't requalify, you're out. So he, I'm not going to say he's he's unqualified himself from the elites after two years, but oh, there's no, a good chance yet. he doesn't requalify. That zero and no points in that first tournament are going to be very, very tough to come back from and requalify over two years average especially depending on how many anglers bass wants to cut because it's not that they have it in the rules but they change it from time to time let's yeah. let, he just needs let's so. just be con conservative he needs to be top 80 over the yeah. next two years i, I think shot. that's doable even with a, a donut in there mm, it's tough um, it's average too it's not so that zero hurts him bad it's it's going to be tough for him to requalify uh he might do it it's hard to say and and it depends on if guys come back legends if KVD decides to come back out of retirement and things like that, like there's there's a lot of things at play. But he, you know, he's having success on on BPT. He won one, finished high in the in uh, the first one. So there, I mean, there's money to be made, and there's a reason guys don't fish both, and there's yeah. a reason John Cox only tried it for one year. Yeah, it's just I don't think it's sustainable. Um, it's I, tough. That's a lot of fishing. I love. I give him power for trying. Like yeah, oh absolutely, and and his stamina. If folks don't realize, so Poche won Cherokee and Douglas, and the very next morning, he turned around and blasted off for the Bassmaster Classic. So he fished that entire tournament, and probably during his off days in between those rounds for MOF, he's probably looking at the Tennessee River and trying to do some practice for the Classic. So he fished seven, eight, nine, I don't know, maybe 12 straight days or something, yeah. and a high-level competitive tournament. like Missed the cut by a hundredth of an ounce. Yeah, he almost made the cut. Could you yeah. imagine the story, <laughs> the goat story, the greatest of all time? If he would have won Cherokee and Douglas, and four days later won the classic, yeah, that that would have been quite impressive. I kind of wish it would have happened, but we also got history made. That's true. Yeah. So the classic. I guess we can roll into that. I, I think that's a good transition. Yeah, it's the a classic. good time to talk about it. So yeah, Gussie wire to wire. Um, he won there two years ago in a, a regular elite series event. And it was uh, a month or two, one way or the other. And he did the exact same thing as he did when he won the last one, in the exact same spot, uh, the exact same baits, the exact same strategy. The only difference was this time he used four-facing sonar to help him key on a fish. Last time 
he didn't have it yet because he's a Minkota guy and it wasn't released. Uh, so he, he did it with 360 last time and identified those fish and, and won it. So it was an exciting tour. It was a lot more exciting than I thought it was going to be because it really looked like he was going to run, run away with it. And uh, he struggled on the last day. Maybe a little bit of drama, you know, we can get into, but uh, it was uh, it was exciting. We didn't really, we don't, if the one thing about working those events is you don't really get seaway, and so we didn't really get to experience all that. You know, we were busy at the uh, at the expo. Everybody that stopped by and said hello, it was great to meet you. We appreciate you all trying the product, and uh, look forward to uh, to hearing about it, and also uh, hopefully some new listeners. We gave out a pile of stickers uh, that you know link to the podcast, but. So we didn't really get to see the weigh-in, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, but I, I think we watched the coverage. We did. So we went home every night to our little Airbnb and, well, our second one, because we had some issues <laughs> the first one. Maybe, maybe we'll tell that story in a bit. But uh, we uh, we went back, we watched the midday update, we watched the coverage, see what was going on. Of course, throughout the day, we're pulling out our phones, checking Bass Track, pulling up the coverage when it's a little slow there in the expo towards the end of the day when people are going to weigh-in. And uh, it was definitely a struggle for most people, I would say. Um, limits were hard to come by, uh, with the exception, well, even Gusty, the last day, he didn't have a limit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was definitely difficult, but he actually, I mean, he, he slayed them the first two days and, and, uh, there were some good, I mean, I think there were several four or five pounders caught that kind of surprised me with the number of fish that were actually caught in there. Yeah. So over a three day period, Gussie had 42 pounds and some change to mm -hmm. take, take the W, but it was neck and neck. And then we talked about this before with the Sabine river, right? Like I can't stand the Sabine river. Like this was a grind. This yes. was a grind. And this was cool to see Gussie, um, who in my opinion, and I've never met him personally, but you very humble, very professional individual that is a good steward of the profession. Uh, represents his sponsors very well, represents Bass very well. And I don't think I've ever heard anybody say anything negative mm -hmm. about him. He went out there, he used his Canadian powers and his strengths and fished the way he wanted to fish. And I got to give a huge shout out to the way that Bass is doing this now because so many people were bored with forward-facing sonar entertainment, mm -hmm. but now they put up a screen in the bottom right corner to where you can see what the angler's seeing. So we got to see Gussie on our little eight inch phones, <laughs> you know, during the expo target, these smallmouth who are isolated in, you know, 25 foot of water, whatever it was and Demiki rigged them. Mm -hmm. And that was super entertaining. And Gussie, we, we, we talked about it before with Poche running a tin rig. Gussie runs a tin rig. He runs a Northern rig, a Lund boat, a pro V bass 2075, I believe. And he just put his spot lock on and, and I think he's got target lock too. And he went to town doing what he's really good at. Not that he can't catch largemouth cause he does relatively well in Florida, but that was interesting to see, but you guys are right. We didn't get to see a lot of it. So we got to see most of the recaps and where, uh, working the, and that should, honestly, that should end the live scope debate for all these people out here. who Don't think it should be in tournaments because you got to see <laughs> that just cause the fish are on the screen doesn't mean you're going to catch them. I mean, if you watch oh, yeah. the last day coverage, how many times he had four, five, six, seven fish come up to his bait, nose up to it, and then just right back down. And we, you know, we all have it on our boats and we've all watched it. Yeah. Uh, so if you honestly think that having forward facing just means that they eat every single time you get to put them in the boat, Gussie had two fish on the last day. Yeah. You know, he caught enough weight the first two days to carry him, luckily. But the last day, it's not that he didn't have fish around him. It's not that he wasn't near fish. It's not they weren't looking at his bait. He only got two 
And they were the quality eight. bites at least, though. Well, yeah. but the thing is on the Tennessee River is they have to be eight. There's a slot, so they have oh, to yeah. be over 18 inches. Small, mm-hmm. And over 18-inch smallmouth is a three-and-a-half-pounder better. That's a big smallmouth. Yeah. yeah. So it makes it really tough. And that typically when you look at tournaments on that river, whether it's the elites or MLF or, or even local stuff, Typically, whoever can find that smallmouth bite is the guy that's going to take the money, or girl that's going to take the money in that tournament. Just because if you can fill the boat with five 18-inch smallmouth, you're, you're at 15 pounds yeah. already, which is a big bag for that river. And was he down in Teleco? Was that where? Yeah, I think he ran to the dam all the way at the end of Teleco, yeah. pretty much, yeah. or the something down, like a shipping lane. I don't know what he fishes down there. I don't. I'm not familiar enough with the. Body and, and this there, is the but. problem of us being at the expo all the time because we didn't get to watch all that coverage. But I'm pretty sure he he was down there in Teleco, which is. Maybe um, we can ask Drew Benton. Yeah, he, he definitely knows where it's at. <laughs> GPS awesome spot locked to the key. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a little bit of. So that's a little bit of. Uh, I guess it's not really a. Uh, controversy but uh drew benton got a faster boat and beat gussie to that spot on the final day and uh gussie did uh the right thing and just kind of rolled on to his next spot he was much nicer than i would have been <laughs> um that's a tough call i mean three hundred thousand dollars a classic title on the last day not everybody's gonna have the same uh moral compass i don't even know if it's a moral decision but, but i I, th- I guess who knows right at like, the at the end of the day gussie won and so it's not a debate but mm-hmm. if he doesn't and benton wins who knows yeah i mean local pressure uh the, those guys build that into their calculus and i'm sure that they also build in other anglers finding the same juice hole that they found built into their calculus but there is something to be said like if you're the if you're in the lead from day one which he was he was day one leader day two leader if you know exactly where somebody else is fishing and you go and, and and take that spot from them, like, and you know that you don't have a fighting chance to even pull out a W, even though he did, because oh, he had a chance because they're the super six. For those of you who don't know, like the classic fishes, there was 56 anglers in the classic this year. And those six additional anglers were like Bass Nation winners. There was a Bass uh, Bassmaster team trail. Um College. college and stuff like that so 56 anglers uh, on the roster overall and then 25 get cut after day mm-hmm. two and then so you got the remaining of the field no goal. they keep 25 they don't cut 25 right, yeah the yeah. 25 go on day three right so yep. there's 25 anglers on the water end day three um i don't even know where i was going with this super six so the last six, six yeah. away on the final day yeah so on the six. last uh the the last portion of the weigh-in they they call up the super six and it was like gustafson and benton and scott canterbury and i can't brian remember. schmidt brian, brian schmidt and then i don't know the other two yeah i don't remember i, I thought john remember. cox was up there wasn't he because yep. he had a good second day cox mm-hmm. who was the other one who was the other one? was it Robertson, because Robertson didn't catch a lot of fish, but he caught bigger fish. No, I don't. I don't think. No, it wasn't him. I can't remember, but either way, so those six are the last six away. But it was dramatic. Like yeah, it was because super dramatic. Canterbury yeah. took the lead mm-hmm. and then held it for one angler, and then Brian Schmidt took the lead and held it until Gustafson came up. And yeah, Gustafson only ended up winning by a pound and, and a little bit of change after leading by a significant amount of weight. Now had yeah. he gone out. Had he gone out and caught five small, I was like, yeah, the first two days, it would have been a blowout. It wouldn't have been close, but 
Yeah. Brian Schmidt, did you guys read the article that he did the interview and just like his story? What a not, like just what a no. good dude. He would have been a great guy to win to, a good steward and yeah. and I don't know I didn't know a whole lot about him until that. I'll I'll send you the link and maybe if I remember when I when we put this out I'll post it in the description for everybody to read just cuz he's got a cool story but um yeah, they added drama. It was dramatic. We thought it was going to be we all kind of I think went into it thinking Gussie was just going to carry carry it through and it was over but yeah. i mean he pretty much i mean he kind of did yeah i mean he he still won by a pound and a half with only catching two fish on day three yeah i mean so he actually crushed it if he could have got his limit even if he would have had a 10 pound limit now you're talking a five six pound win and that, you know everybody's so, saying at, at the expo he, if he catches three it's over yeah yeah, yeah. so two left some room for you know, excitement. Yeah, two left room for excitement, but everybody knew it, he was going to win or when it was going to be close, but he, w- he was the odds-on favorite to win. So I'm glad he pulled it out from going wire to wire um, so we don't have to hear all the drama <laughs> blow up all over the place yeah, uh, yeah. about people stealing spots. I mean, it's one thing if guys go out and practice and multiple people find the juice or two anglers find the juice and on day one one gets there and day two the other one gets there because they reverse the order and then day three it's a boat race like that's happened before but when you haven't even practiced or you assume speculating on in practice you're relying on information you've seen or heard or from a tournament two years ago and to go steal a spot on the championship sunday we'll let everyone make up their minds on that we don't have all the details like, yeah, we like ben saying but you know, there was another guy on it the day before, and he apparently got a talking to because he decided not to go there on the last day. Uh, so somebody must have said something. But another, you know, another angler did, and uh, he beat him there fair and square. It is public water; it's a race, but it doesn't matter because uh, Jeff. Won. Guess he won. Like I said, mm-hmm. if he doesn't win, maybe you hear about it. He won, and and we don't ever have to talk about it again because it's like the we we've had the controversy that never was on here before that we've <laughs> talked about. Um, if Ben, Pete, and Trey are fishing three days in a row, and Ben and Pete weigh in greenfish the first two days, and I weigh in brownfish, right? And you guys pull up on third day and weigh in brownfish and be like, "What's going on? What's going on? Are you taking my spot?" Like, and that, and that's kind of what happened during the weigh in. Like, everyone's weighing largemouth. There'd be like a random smallie here and there, gussy smallmouth all the way through. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden on day three, it's like, "Oh, smallmouth, smallmouth!" Like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? So, I mean. Fair is fair. Buy a faster boat if you want to beat him to the spot, right? Or just have good etiquette. And he handled that perfectly well. He really did. He just turned He didn't say anything on stage. He was humble, professional. I mean, at that point, it doesn't matter because he is now made for life. He's a classic champion. He just, he, he's in the history books for bass. He got that $300,000 check. I mean, he don't care about it now. I would have T-boned a boat with my <laughs> aluminum boat just to see how it would handle. I'm just saying, I'd have had to find in my mailbox before I got back to checking, I think. But, uh, no, congratulations to Gussie. Yes. Uh, Keith Pochet went in before that, but, the you know, the Super Bowl bass is a little bit more important. And to see uh, only the second international winner, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and then the first Canadian, you know, Dave Mercer was a got a little emotional when he was doing his on-the-stage thing. Yeah. I think he was excited. He's You know, he's a Canadian guy. Um, the Aussies, I guess the Aussies and them all hung out together. Carl Jogginson had some family or friend or somebody come in, and they had a had a big to do. So the international crowd was super fired up about it, which is great to see. And uh, man, bass is worldwide. It was a great, great event. It was a great event. 
uh, and a great expo. Hundred and sixty thousand plus people through the doors. Is, was that is the number. final number? Yeah, it was like one hundred and sixty one, the largest one to date. Now, so they took the record back. Knoxville did. Let's talk about Knoxville. Let's talk about what you guys thought of the event because I thought it so location wise, it doesn't get much better for the the consumer, the viewer, the fan out there because everything was within a mile. So if, if you go there. You can walk to the launch. You can then walk to the expo. You can walk the way in. There's no, not a huge distance. Like next year, when when the Classic is in at Grand Lake. It's the, an hour and a half between the expo and the launch. Yeah, it's an hour and a half between Tulsa and the launch. And I don't know where they're going to do way in. We don't know if it's going to be halfway in between, mm-hmm. down at the lake, down, uh, you know, up at the expo. So, so you know, how to Knoxville is a great location in that regard. Right, Everything's right there. I don't know. What would you, you think, Trey? Location, 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 right? The uh, the curb appeal was there. Everything was convenient for us uh, with one cast. Um, all the vendors had a relatively easy time uh, navigating between where they were staying and where they were set up in the expo. And then obviously weigh-in was right, right down the road. There were some challenges. Yep. There were some logistical challenges. And this isn't a ding on bass or anything, but... You know, these big organizations, they subcontract these companies to go in and set up these venues, um, you know, get all the uh, the trash and, and the parking situation, the marshalling yard, whatever the case may be. So day one, day zero, really, we roll in and, uh, you know, we have to go to the marshalling area. And then it was underneath a bridge in the middle of nowhere. It's the, under the I-40. Over, <laughs> under over the I-40 bridge. Uh, so it was a little sketch, right? But we pulled up and there were some individuals that were working there, some of the subcontractors. Um, we were given some loose guidance. I'm not, I'll just throw it out there. We were given loose guidance. There was two entrances to take the trailer uh, to the convention center. One of those being on the, I don't know, Western side and one on the Eastern side, whatever the case may be. But it was it was loose guidance. Like, where do we go to take our stuff? So we went to one that was closest to our booth, yeah, which was apparently wrong. <laughs> but uh, beside the point, just to piggyback, like before we go into all the nitty gritty, it's a great venue for a consumer. I, it is, and I heard it from every single vendor. It's absolutely a nightmare for as a vendor. Yeah, it's not convenient to unload. It's not convenient to offload. The layout of the convention center itself is not great because there's all these little side closets and and places they stuck people. And the best way to think people about didn't it, didn't know that there were folks in there. Think of it like a hotel conference room. Is what it, what it, what yeah, it was. Sort of we, was we, like where you have breakout rooms, like little closets yep. almost off the main floor. And yep. Right there was multiple floors here, so you had companies that got stuck in there, and, and you know. That had to affect them. We were very fortunate with where we, we were. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the main floor, you know, where Bass has their stage where they do the live broadcasts and and all the, you know, title sponsors have all their stuff set up. It's very nice. When you started up in the second and third floor, like Ben said, it's like a bunch of conference rooms. Uh, the third floor had one kind of main room and then a bunch of conference rooms around it. And I know, I know some friends with different companies that were in some of those side closets. And getting foot traffic in there the first day was a struggle. Uh, wasn't great. They kind of figured out how to put some signage and things out to let people know that there were other, you know, other exhibitors in there. Um, oh, this so doesn't even talk about the entire other building. No, I was getting to that. That no one so went to, apparently. The, the second, and then there was a second building, that's where I was heading, where they, they had some other pretty big-name companies. Most of the boat manufacturers over there outside of White River Marine, which is Johnny Morris, who's a title sponsor, so he had the main building. Uh, Lawrence was over there. There were some other big companies over there. And uh, Hook was over there actually, and they it was they had such 
a small number of people that even knew it was there that they had folks out where the shuttle was dropping people off, giving away T-shirts to try to draw people into that building. And people would take a T-shirt, walk to the main building, and never come through. Yeah. Um, it was just – the layout's not great as an exhibitor. It, like I said, again, absolutely, if it's there and you've never been to one, it's the best place to go. Because like Ben said, everything's either in walking distance, it's a one-minute shuttle ride, or they got those little rental electric scooters all over the place <laughs> that you swipe your credit Which you want to use because oh, yeah. parking there is <laughs> – Parking's uh, not great. Right and that's there. the other thing I was going to In Knoxville, fix your roads. Your roads <laughs> are <laughs> absolutely <laughs> atrocious. But Trey, like Trey was saying, we, we got yelled at on uh, day zero. We got yelled at, uh, but we adjusted, we adapted. Uh, the best thing you can do as an exhibitor or even as a fan, but more for, as an exhibitor, is send somebody to do a recon for you. And that's kind of what Pete did. Peter went ahead and like checked out where we were going to be. And, and we pulled up and we followed Pete because he was he was on the spot. Right. So whether or not you're that long haired dude that comes out and yells at us, I don't really care. <laughs> we got in, we got set up, we got out. And, and all the exhibitors face that challenge yeah. as well. Um, you know, the layout was OK compared to other events like it wasn't shoulder to shoulder for exhibitors so oh, yeah, I, I, I thought agree. that was good there's space you had there's space, space to there's space but you're right you you can get lost in that place so if you're an exhibitor or a fan do some go on to the website bass always pushes the uh the expo layout and it has a map where everything is located or they'll hand out that piece of paper and stuff like that too um but that was good for exhibitors uh we we dealt with some challenges there and then for we got we got really lucky we had a great space yeah yeah i mean we for did our first one we were right outside of the kind of main hall on the third floor and we had folks flow through going both directions so we we got lucky on that but yep and then parking sucked. Man, parking Parking was a nightmare. We saw my wife get to yell at somebody because <laughs> yeah. he was trying to T-bone us. And that's I've never seen her angry, but man, she was not very well. I mean, I've seen her angry. Obviously. Demon spawn coming. She up. was not very happy. <laughs> Finger pointing. I mean, it was uh it was an experience. But yeah, parking. So they one thing typical, this is the third classic that I've worked uh, you know, with a, with companies. I've been to a couple other ones. Typically, exhibitors have a big lot where they let all the exhibitors yeah. park. That way, you're not you're not fighting the general publics or the college parking, students. The college students. <laughs> the only lot they gave us was a tiny little lot. They coned off like half of it for the bass media. So you either had to get there like two and a half hours early to get a parking spot, or you have to do what I did and just park where they the guard said you're going to get a ticket. And I said just go ahead and write it. And I just pulled in there and parked. <laughs> University of Tennessee. Tickets worth pay it. your ticket anyway. Um, <laughs> So yeah, parking, and then my dad came Friday. Yeah, right. Yeah, Friday. Friday and he yeah. got there maybe an hour after everything opened, and it took him like an hour to find a parking spot. There's no, there was as no, a, an attendee, so he was driving all over. It's I think just, he, I think he parked at like a clinic or something. I don't like know. That. He like he was, <laughs> any other convention center, stadium, anything I've ever been to, there's massive parking around. Yeah. I don't know if this is a function because this was a Lord's Fair thing from like the 80s. Yeah, I'm thinking it because of when it was built. That it just And then the, the college campus being right there, I think has something to do with it too because yeah. I'm sure a lot of those kids that are there are living somewhat close. You know, they're not really commuting or they're using public transportation. Yeah. And um, it's not that we're just complaining about these no. types of things. Bass, this event brings 
millions of dollars i would i would submit i you have got no 160,000 people coming to downtown knoxville millions of dollars to downtown knoxville we met people from all over the country oh yeah i mean yeah people come from everywhere so they come from all over the world yeah, yeah. it's uh yeah like we said i know there was a large uh, australian contingent yeah, there flew, do you know how much a plane ticket is to and from australia it's uh, like 10 grand uh, yeah i'm sure it's not cheap so you're welcome delta <laughs> <laughs> you know but yeah it, so there were logistical challenges everybody faced challenges and pete you brought up a good point so, some some of the areas you didn't even know that like mckee outdoors mm-hmm. i'll throw them out there they have a great selection of baits they were like in a back corner. They had a fireplace. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, they were they just were like in back- stuck in a little back room, which... Uh, they were carrying all the mag drafts, you know? Like you had to go search them out, but... And then our friend Corey Dreyer, who was on here, he was there with with uh, Hobie. They were there with Dugout out of Georgia, and they were in one of those closets. And they the first day, they had terrible foot traffic, and I talked to them, and uh, they actually went and had some of those big flags that, you know, wait, whatever. Yeah. And they stuck two of them by the doors so people would see them as they walked down. And then luckily Saturday, which was, I mean, wall-to-wall, treetop tall, to quote Fat Cat Noon, there was people constantly <laughs> through there. Um, it was super busy. It was yeah. great. It was hard to even make sure that you got to talk to everybody. It was so busy. Uh, but they had it for that, so people were able to, you know, swing in there. Bass tried. Uh, they had some signage that said more exhibitors here. Uh, one of those may or may not have ended up in our trailer. Um, <laughs> that was a pure accident. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that happened. But, uh, no, um, they tried to let people know, but it just wasn't enough. And it's not en- – like we said, we're not knocking bass. We're not talking bad about the event overall. Just some logistical things that we know going into it. Yeah. If it goes back to Knoxville and we go, we need to – you know, we as a company need to be prepared to potentially need to have some additional signage or something. Because every place is going to have, you know, pros and cons. So, like – it may be a location. Everyone's in a massive building like ICAST, but the launch and way, it may be a long ways away. So that there's always pros and cons. And as as a company, both with the jigs and, and us as the podcast, you know, in the future, we're, we're going to examine these things a little bit more because now we know that this is my first time. Trey, your first time yeah. at Classic. I know Pete's been there a couple of times, but, you know, if we're doing what we do, what we do now, it really helps us do that action after review, the mm-hmm. AAR, and then to... Uh, project in the future of, of what we need and how to plan. I will say compared to Greenville uh, last year when they did Hartwell, the loading and unloading, even though there was only two areas and and they didn't necessarily do the best job of putting you at the one that was closest to your booth, was much better than there. Because there you pretty much had to wheel half mile across the parking lot uh, to get to your trailer. So again, the logistics thing there, it was better somewhat at knoxville even though they didn't really tell you which entrance to go to and then you get yelled at because you don't know how to do their job for them and uh but man the people we saw i just keep going back to that everybody was super friendly i mean i was surprised like it it means a lot to me hopefully to to you too as well but yeah to have folks come up and like yeah i bought all i bought a bunch of your hooks the long neck hooks you know a while back and they helped me actually you know, catch fish for the for the open on you follow because I just kept having yeah. short strikes on sinkles. Oh yeah, I love the hooks. They're phenomenal. And right people they, talked they, about the jigs. The jigs too, yeah, right? Or the jigs before coming to get more up. We had some deals there. People were stocking up and um you know the success people had, I mean that means a lot. Um because you hear a little bit on social media and all, but it's it's definitely it means a lot to hear it in person from folks and that was definitely uh a, you know 
I'm trying to look for the war, but it definitely raised the you confidence. You feel grateful. Right? I feel, yeah. You yeah, feel yeah. grateful. And that our, pro- like we're helping people catch fish. Like that's what, and that's what it is as a business, like finding your niche. And it wasn't just fishing at the expo. The expo is like, uh, how do I put this? Like a professional carnival. There was all sorts of stuff at the expo. There was things for obviously boats, tackle but there was apparel outdoors type things there was food uh there was a dog show with a, a competition to see how far the yeah, dog, dog could jump. Dog. i mean there were so many different things and i know pete hit on this before but it's just a great event even if you're not into fishing it's a great family oriented event the challenge that we talked about with like the layout and things like that all that is is saying you need as a business to get creative with how yeah. you're drawing your customer base and whether or not you're launching t-shirts out of a cannon at people, not at people, to people, <laughs> right? Or maybe you're, you're, you know, like you gotta figure out an artistic way to to draw the crowd in, especially if you're putting a disadvantage because those booths, they cost a significant amount of money based on square footage, right? So yeah. I mean, that just if you Ben, let's let's ask the question. As a small business owner, going to the classic, how do you did you expect to make a whole lot of money? I mean, in the back of the mind, you always help to sell out, you know, right. everything you brought. But no, you know, I've done a few trade shows, nothing at this scale. Um, hopefully, you just I, I think ultimately you just try to make more than what your booth costs and whatever it costs, you know, to run there and all. But but for us as a small business, getting their name out there, the, the value is so much more than that. As you know, the connections, the networking, the people that we met there, uh, the things that we're going to do in the future that we won't quite talk about yet, but we got some things being developed, and then and then networking and meeting the folks that we've had on the podcast and th- you know we've talked to virtually, mm-hmm. it, it's that's phenomenal. Yeah, you can't put a price no. on relationships that you build, especially the ones that are based out of out of value, right? And and Pete, you know a lot of people in the industry. I mean, I'm not going to say names, but when those people see you and they're affiliated with another company and they walk by booth 4013, which is where we were at at the expo, they're like, "Hey, what's going on? Great to see you. it's been years or whatever the case may be." Now they see one cast fishing and the one cast and all this stuff. So that's the type of thing like as a small business if your expectations are to sell out of your product well that's a great goal to have but Mm -hmm. the marketing opportunity the network building like that's true Mm -hmm. value and hopefully that's what carries you on further man there were guys that showed up there with home custom like wake baits and glide baits and they sold out and but that's the only thing they do right they bring 130 of them to a show and they sell them all out they make a quick buck they turn around they do it again another trade show this is more of a long enduring, you know, marketing opportunity for another, you know, for different businesses. They made their quick buck off me on them things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pete comes back with like six of those things. Yeah. Yeah. I dropped, how how I, many swim bases did you buy? Three. I only bought three. Oh. Yeah. I, there was a couple more I had my eye on, but we were so busy. I never got over there and I probably really didn't need to spend the money on them anyway. So that's all right. You can let me use them. <clears throat> yeah. No. That's um, okay. Collections <laughs> is in the mail. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There'll be, uh, it was, I mean, it was great. Like, like Ben said, as a small business, the networking, uh, was, that's irreplaceable. The folks mm-hmm. that we met, yep. we found some things out, uh, that we didn't even know, uh, that like Ben said, we're not gonna talk about it, but some projects that, that we found the people in the places that we didn't know were there, uh, we had been brainstorming about. And, uh, 
So it was awesome from that standpoint. You know, uh, I'll give a shout out to Caraway Creek. Uh, they're a local North Carolina company. They'd been around forever. Uh, I thought they were out of business. It turns out somebody else had bought them and is bringing them back. We, we you know, we met them there. Um, you know, got to talk to them. Glad to see that they're back because they made some really cool baits. Uh, so without that, we may not have, we, you know, we, you might not know that they're there because they weren't at Raleigh. We didn't see them there. I never even um, seen them before. Yeah. No, and I'd seen their baits before, you know, when I got down here, somebody I was fishing with had showed them to me and then I tried to find them and they were gone. So this guy, another guy bought the company and, you know, they're back up. So things like that. And then just like Ben said, so many people from all over the country, all over the world. And even when they didn't buy things like Trey said, walking by, they saw the booth. Uh, we had uh, some one cast stickers. They're picking up the stickers. Some of these stickers that look kind of like that. Uh, we were, you know, we had them out for folks to grab. And I mean, I don't know how many we went through a pile. Uh, yeah. So thousands of them, right? Four to five thousand. Yeah. Oh, even yeah. if they didn't buy, they have that sticker now. And they may look at it one day and go, what is that? And they Google the name and all of a sudden they see the product. Um, yeah. And it was like Ben said, it wasn't about just selling out obviously we wanted to but but we sold uh, a lot of jigs then don't get us wrong like and that. we got jigs yeah. to people because we had some what we usually fish like the factory seconds that we sold we sold there and a lot of folks picked those up because they were a little bit cheaper no packaging uh they may not be perfect because of some pain or whatever and so now they've tried them they're gonna i know they're gonna like them and then you know that kind of thing could lead to future sales so yeah. if you're a small business owner and you have some marketing and you're in mo if you're in fishing or outdoors if you're a gutter guard company, you probably don't want to go because there's always one and there's never anybody at their booth. Um, <laughs> I did but if, see if, that. You, if you have some marketing money and you want to take a trip to really help get your product out there and, and show people what you have, I, there, I don't think there's a better way than the classic. Yeah. I mean, like you said, whether you fish or not, we are plumber, so we can get into that story real quick. Yeah. So our first Airbnb, um we had a plumbing issue the first night was great everything seemed fine second day we got up to take showers ben took a shower uh drained a little slow trey took a shower drained a little bit slower i took a shower you took a bath it didn't yeah it didn't <laughs> you, drain. Took, yeah. you yeah, would have yeah, had to yeah, take yeah. a bath at that point it didn't drain anymore when i showered right so uh then i flushed the toilet and um the water went down the toilet and then came up the shower drain and, and then you took a mud bath we knew we had a problem so uh you know we called we called the folks with the airbnb they had a plumber come over he was there um, almost all day. He was there almost all day. Uh, just for all of you, if you do rent and, and you have a female with you, don't flush your feminine products down the toilet uh, because he pulled out who knows how many from years past uh, that, that had backed up and eventually, you know, broke the pipe. Listen, but our, it, it was disgusting. It was terrible. Yeah, it was bad. But our, so our plumber, you know, he did some fishing, um, kayak fishing. Didn't really know a whole lot about a classic. We got to tell him about it. He had a daughter. Uh, who wasn't really inefficient. She was super young, his wife. But, you know, we told him, go check it out because there's so much more than than just fishing and it's experience. And I don't know if he ended up making it or not, uh, if you somehow hear this, because we did give you some stickers to check out yep. the podcast. Um, we appreciate you trying to get the shower fixed, and hopefully hopefully, you all got a chance to check out the Expo because it is, if it's close to you, check it out when it's there because the Expo is, is a thing in itself, even if you're not there for the fishing. Yeah, so... That plumbing issue was. Uh, <laughs> I'm just remembering the smell. It's so it, it was bad. terrible. Unfortunately, we we weren't there most of the day because we had to go get set up and yeah. and run errands and do a few things. But you know, ultimately, we got kicked out of that Airbnb because we you know we had no we had no indoor plumbing. Yeah, we were yeah. homeless at that <laughs> we point. Had, yeah, 
And so, uh, fortunately, we found a place a little bit further south in Murrayville, as we were told. Yeah, it's not, not Maryville, but it's Murrayville. Murrayville. And it actually, be, I think, it ended up being a better loca- awesome. location for us. It was a bigger place, a middle, kind of uh, in the middle of cow pastures, an old farmhouse. Uh, it actually had an extra bedroom, so when Pete's dad came by, he wasn't stuck on the couch. And- no, he got to sleep with Raggedy Ann. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a creepy bedroom, and if, if I don't know if, if, if you happen to see your Instagram story... You'll see why. Maybe we'll post that do, up. Do you know the who was the company that we did the Airbnb with? Not the first one, but the second one. Do you? It was an independent it, individual. Yeah. Indi- yeah. Her name is Jackie. Jackie. Okay. Yeah. She did. She was phenomenal. Jackie, if you're listening to this, you're probably not. But your Airbnb, that house was legit. Yeah. Like I love it. It felt like home. The first house was great. The second house felt like home. Yep. You know, had that old farmhouse yeah. mm-hmm. smell. Just. And everything was vintage in it. Yeah. That was that was so cool. If you watched our live, you got to see that. Yeah, because <laughs> so we go were back and watch our live. But anyway, sorry to cut you off. Keep going. No, I that pretty much covered. It. I mean, the second place was great. It was only like a twenty-five minute drive each morning up to Knoxville, so it wasn't too bad. Yeah, what was that little giggle? No, before? I was just thinking like so. You know, we Pete's dad comes in. He's from Pittsburgh, close to the Pittsburgh area. You know, what a great guy. Goes out, we go out and buy some steaks to cook, and uh, we go to barbecue, and what's on the barbecue? A full bird's nest with like <laughs> six eggs in there. And we're, hey, we're good people, I promise. Like, we did not those fry birds those birds. Those eggs. We, yeah, made, yeah. we made, the, made the steak in a pan and, and, and in the oven and stuff. But that we had some good times, and, uh, and it, I think it worked out for the best, man. And we got to bring our uh, ambassador over, Larry. Larry, appreciate you coming out and uh, hanging out with us for one of our Facebook Lives and or our live streams and stuff. So... All in all, man, super good event, mm-hmm. super fun time. So, yeah, we brought Larry out for our live. And and one of the things I want to mention, uh, the people that you see work in the fishing expos, they're not all like direct hire to the companies. Like they're brand ambassadors or maybe they're on their pro staff or volunteers, whatever the case may be. So when you go to these expos, like don't just think they're a direct hire into the company. It was critical. Larry brought a lot of people by the booth, mm-hmm. right? A lot of people that knew Larry through his connections. He works for uh, an organization himself. Like he brought his friends by. We had multiple people that we had on the show before. Uh, Destin Demarion came by the booth, like several um, uh, open anglers. Like we had Harvey Horn. Uh, Stephanie came by. She fishes the MPFL. Josh Watkins, he was on the show. He fishes the MPFL. So like, Brand ambassadors, friends of, of yours and friends of the company, like they make a huge difference in these expos. And I want to give a shout out to all of them because they brought attraction to the booth. Yeah, that pro staff, ambassadors, brand, whatever you call it, depending on the company, are, are they really are the heartbeat of these shows for, for the most part. They're the folks that are out there uh, tearing down, setting up, putting in, putting in work. And, you know, we had an episode where we talked about pro staff. We talked about ambassadors and all that, uh, sponsorship, blah, 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 blah. Outside of a sponsorship requirement, if that's your goal, a great way. And we talked about then is, is to volunteer when those expos, you know, come up. And I know we'll have a bigger list that we're going to do next year. We're adding a few and I'll, I'll, as soon as we know for sure and lock that down, I'll be putting it out to our ambassadors to say, Hey, when are you available? You know, come, come help us. Cause we need it. Uh, and it gives gives the you know give us a chance to get around and, and make some of those connections, but it also gives you a chance to to make those connections as an ambassador, or pro staff, or whatever it is you are. It's extremely important, you know, for the business side of and getting help. So I've got to give a good huge shout out to uh, these two fellows sitting next to me, 
Trey and Pete because uh, them helping out uh, with OneCast and the booth and and just over the years making product, I OneCast would not be where it was today without the help from from these two fine gentlemen. So I can't appreciate them enough. I don't want to turn this into a love fest, but uh, <laughs> you guys, you guys know uh, I, I appreciate it. No, uh, absolutely. You guys, it means a lot to me. You guys want to help out. Talking about appreciating, though, I bet you the big businesses appreciated the classic having DHL there. And that, and that was something for, I had no idea that you could do that, but if they, Are they ha- always there, I don't know if they're always there, but like big companies who make a lot of money had the ability to ship their stuff. Oh yeah. That's every show. Most, so that was pretty cool. I've never seen that before. So if you're a big company, I guess you can, just, most of your bigger companies do that. You'll see it at iCast. You hey, see uh, it at, uh, keep buying jigs. Most of you do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, those bigger companies just show up and usually it's shipped. They hire the local, you know, whatever facility to set it up and they just roll in and that's it's ready it. to go. Um, that's expensive. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, uh, so that's why I uh, keep buying jigs folks. So we can do that one day. Uh, it's um, definitely cool. Before we wrap it up here. And, and again, this is our really our classic recap here. I know we talked about Poche winning cause it was right there and it was the same week. Because we were so, it, we weren't secluded, but isolated in the way because of our requirements of being at the expo. And because our Airbnb, we had to move about 25 minutes. We weren't as close. We weren't able to do necessarily everything outside expo hours. So what is something that we didn't get to do at the Classic or in Knoxville that you wish you could have done? I would have liked to go see the weigh-in or at least one day of the weigh-in, right? Um you know, there was three, well, there was four of us working when Pete's dad showed up. Uh, but that's something that I think would have been pretty cool to see. Um, because there were no TVs anywhere in the expo to watch the classic, uh, this low quality Android phone I have was about the best we could do. So, but yeah, catching one of the weigh-in days uh, would have been really neat. But, you know, you know, working the booth was extremely important. So, what about you, Pete? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm with Trey. Wait, weigh in or uh, you know blast off. It was tough. We were so far away and blast off at seven thirty. We didn't want to get up. We there had early. to left to leave yeah. at like six fifteen. And, and they had, what six thousand people down there. I think it was, it was off. busy. Yeah. That was pretty um, cool. But those you know those two are really the ones weigh in more than blast off, just because there's nothing like a classic way, and you can you know you can feel the the pulse of what's going on, and uh, you know guys are out there. Like you said, making trying to make their career because that's what a, a classic win. You you become like a made man in the mafia. Mm-hmm. Like once you have that, uh, there's no taking that away. So, yeah. uh, would have liked to have got to seen that. What about you? Sorry, I was just thinking that. Yeah, you're a made man. You can't be a made man without a classic. So that's right. You can't be the goat either. No, you can't. <laughs> that was before classic. <laughs> you heard a break. He said before classics and also has oh he's trying to backtrack no, now backtracking uh, just because you're a made man doesn't mean you can't be the goat all right pete but uh we all know bill dance i wish uh i actually wish i could have seen that drone show they had so bass had a drone show i think it was the Bassmaster kickoff thursday night to be honest we, we knew there was a kickoff thing going on but we didn't know there was going to be a drone show otherwise we well we did move airbnb otherwise maybe we would have checked it out but for looking for the pictures on social media, they had like boats flying in the sky because all the drones made the you know the pictures. It looked like the for those who may have seen the Olympic uh, Chinese when mm-hmm. they had the the Beijing Olympics and all those crazy drone shows. It was I think very similar to that, but yeah. up above in the skyline of Knoxville. So that would have been awesome to experience yeah. there in person. So uh, 
next time maybe we'll maybe we'll yeah that was uh, that. hummingbird Minn Kota put that on and it was we watched there's a vid, there's videos out there if you didn't see it it was I would like to seen it they had trolling motor props spinning and boats driving and setting the hook on fish yeah. and it was really cool looking but Here, here's what I didn't miss. I didn't miss being hungover walking into the expo the next day like a lot of people. And I can tell you uh-huh. right now. Especially Sunday. I'm telling you, like, when you see the looks on some of these people's face when they're walking in, they're like, I do not want to be here. And I can <laughs> tell you, that's the beauty of getting older, in my opinion, is, like, I'm not going to go hammer it down the night before getting yeah. up, you know, 6 in the morning. So I'm glad we didn't have that event. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One other cool piece of news was Ike and Ellie getting into the Bass oh, Fishing yeah. Hall of Fame. Oh yeah, he did. Yep. Announced by the Goat Bill Dance. Uh, you know, when you're when you're uh, the goat, you get to tell people they got in. So he's apparently not a made man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he made bass. So. Uh, no, it was, anyway, <laughs> it was cool. I mean, Flambo was right next to our booth, and they had Ike there. And uh, the line of people to see Mike, Ike, and Ellie, and screaming, "Never give up!" Like it was amazing. And there's people in this industry that are that are heroes and role models to people and i think when we talk about being a steward of the profession and carrying on a legacy that bass is trying to create yeah. i think that's what they're talking about and there's so many children that are just it was no go ahead sorry i was just gonna say there's so many children that are impressed by these individuals so there's it so was, many young kids there high school oh, yeah. Ang- yeah high school anglers yes a lot of them. it was yes. really cool so the last Sunday, as things started to die down, I, I was wandering around talking to folks, trying to get some things lined up for the podcast. And I swung by Missile Bates booth, and I was talking to Logan Latuso. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was right when Ike came to Missile, because uh, he's with Missile, Missile Jigs, Missile Bates. Right when he Ike came over there, they kind of had a professional angler moment. And, uh, you know, because he's a rookie, so they were, you know, kind of don't really know each other, but... uh I congratulate him on his finish at Okeechobee, blah, blah, blah. But Logan looked right at him and said, I've only ever read two books cover to cover, and one of them was your book, yeah. Never Give Up, and I probably read it four or five times. Yeah. So when you think about that, that's a, a guy that's a, a rookie on the elites this year, and he just met somebody that's probably an idol that he's looked up to. And uh, I know, he, you know, I can was somebody I watched growing up because he was kind of a local, local guy being from Pennsylvania. There wasn't a lot of anglers. There's more now. That have, have made more of a name, but uh, PA? yeah, he's from Delaware. No, he's from Philly. Oh, that's why, cause yeah, because he, he used to fish the Delaware River. Yep, yeah, yep, okay. yep, yep, yeah, he's from Philly. So, yeah, to see how much draw he still has, even though he took a year off three years ago, he's only fished one year back with, with bass. Man, that line for Flambeau was wild. I mean, it yeah. was like around the building. I was going to see if he could sign my forehead, but I never got around <laughs> to it. So, and, uh, the line to get in the expo, too, every day was crazy. impressive. Yeah. Uh, just wrapped around the building down down the block. So, and I will say we got lucky because we were right next to Flambeau. So mm-hmm. when all those people got done with Vicanelli, they just had to walk on by. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and they had to check out the old snagless jigs. Exactly. Well, for, uh, well, I think uh, I mean I had my I had a great time at the classic. It was uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully going back in the future. Of course, next year it's halfway across the country for us uh, in Tulsa, but we'll see what we can do. You guys got any last thoughting parts parts on the classic? Parting thoughts, thoughting parts. I I don't know. (laughs) Parting thoughts. See, this is how I mean. Thoughts of the parting. (laughs) So, cool week, man. Cool week. 
Keith Poche winning out of his little tin rig in the BPT, Turnaround Fishing Classic. Gussie winning out of his tin rig, first uh, Canadian to window Bassmaster Classic on the same lake he won two years ago. Our first time together, all three of us going to a Bassmaster Classic. Your dad joining us, the plumbing backing up in the house and moving Airbnbs, like all in all, great week and oh by the way we got to give a shout out to your wife too who is helping us out a lot mm -hmm. from the cash and booth coming over and taking pictures and stuff like that her her photography is phenomenal so just all in all great week running into old people running into new people appreciate everyone's support man yeah no it was awesome getting to meet new customers old customers some old pro staff from when ben first started oh yeah, uh, yeah. come by the booth ryan yep um it was awesome and and uh, my dad you know, I thought he was coming to, uh, to be an observer and just Me too. Uh, walk around. And he ended up he ended up jumping right into the booth and slinging one cast jigs like he was a pro. So yeah. uh, thank him for that help because it was Saturday. Without him would have been pretty rough because yeah. it was busy. Um, but yeah, just uh, just an awesome time. You know, it was good. Ben, Trey, and I know each other pretty well, but uh, definitely feel like I know these guys better and, and that we're better friends now after getting some time in the evenings, you know, might have a beverage and sit around and, and tell stories about, you know, what made us the men we are today. So, uh, it was awesome. Yep. I, I don't know what else to say. Like the, it was great. It was a great event. Hopefully if, if you guys haven't been to a classic, you'll be able to get one to the future and then hopefully you'll see us out there. Um, so next week, as, as we finish up, so our next episode we've got planned already. we got Corey coming on. He's a, a North Carolina fish biologist. So for those in North Carolina, we're going to be talking things about the F1 bass stalking. We might be talking about who killed the grass at Harris because uh, <laughs> no one seems to know. We're definitely going to talk about the grass. <laughs> we're going to talk about a bunch of things that, that may be related specifically to North Carolina, but for those who are outside the state, the, the biology and kind of the impacts we're going to talk about probably applies to a lot of places around the country. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Alabama bass invasion and, and a few other things that that will translate to other parts of the country. So definitely something to listen to. And uh, I'm sure there's going to be some good warnings heated about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the conversation. North Carolina is taking care of business. That's a good one. That's a good one. Oh, God, it's a toad, son. It's a toad, dude. Let's go. I wake up to a little bit of drool on my pillow, feel like it's going to be a bad day.